verses uh, 17 uh, through through 21 here in, in, in just a minute. I was going to write something, but I'm not going to. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed, but through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem, round about unto Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see. And they that have not heard shall understand. This is a thought that Paul is expressing to us uh, in, in the very first verse that I want us to key in on tonight. Everything that Paul has done and everything up, up to the, this point in, in his writing of this letter uh, to Ro the Roman church, he says, has been done through Christ Jesus, through Jesus. So go back to verse 17 with me and, and listen to what he says here. I have whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. Now I want to read to you um, from the English Standard Version. Give me just one second to, to turn there. English Standard Version is a very safe Bible uh, translation to, uh, or I'm sorry, um, a, 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 a version of the Bible to read from because it very, very closely follows um, not just the King James Version, but it, it is also very, very, very uh, precise when it comes to uh, the way it translates the word, the, translate words from the original um, Greek. And verse 17 in, uh, in, in the ESV says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. So compare that to this. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. That word through means in, by, or with. In Christ Jesus, by Christ Jesus, and with Christ Jesus. This is a very, very, very huge statement that is made by Paul. Major statement made by Paul. Why? What was Paul prior to his meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus? What was he? He was a Pharisee. Not only was he a Pharisee, but he says himself that he was, I'm, yes, I was going to say, I'm going to paraphrase, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. That would, he was a member of the Sanhedrin. Okay, there it goes, it's already starting. I'm going to have to take some pills for this. My brain goes faster than my hand can go. And my hand tries its best to keep up. But it can. The Sanhedrin was the council of, of devout uh, Jews who were the legal scholars, the, 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 the power, the, those who controlled the law. They were the government, the authority over the Jews. Paul, as a member of the Sanhedrin, was not just a member of the Sanhedrin, but to put another spin on it, he was an overachiever. He was the chief. When Paul thought something was, was the will of God, he not just followed through with it, but he was willing to go to the next level with it. You know, we'll read here a little bit later... Uh, we all already know this because we've covered it, but we'll read through some verses in a little bit 
that talk about the devoutness with which Paul carried out his work as a Pharisee. What did he do? He hunted, persecuted, even to the point of death. He was the one who was standing there in great, great pride as all of the men laid their coats at his feet when they stoned Stephen. Why did Paul feel um, empowered? Um, maybe the word entitled is not the best word, but why did he feel that it was okay to kill Stephen? Why did he feel that that was an author? Why did he believe that that was an authorized execution? Why did he feel that way? What was it about Christians that Paul couldn't stand? They believed that Jesus was God, that he was the Messiah, and that he lived, died, and rose again. Pharisees didn't like that because their interpretation of what the Messiah would be was much different than what Jesus was. Pastoral sidebar, I'm entitled to three of these every time I teach or preach, and I'm going to take one right now, and they can extend for 30 minutes, three minutes, it doesn't matter. It's my prerogative. That's what's written in the bylaws, right? I get those at every meeting. Pastoral sidebar, or pastoral privilege, if you will. Do you think it's actually easier for us to understand the ideology of the Pharisees in terms of the Messiah than what we want to admit? Let me explain what I mean by that. What you say and what you do are often two different things, right? Policy and practice are often not aligned, right? Here, let me explain what I mean. When you are offended, disrespected in your mind, or somebody uh, gets all up in your business, what is your natural inclination? To push them back, right? Someone hurts you, suddenly we, we all become followers of Moses, an eye for an eye, right? But what did Jesus say? What did Jesus say to do? Somebody smacks you on the right cheek, what do you do? Turn on the other. Someone takes your coat, I'm not going to, I won't, oh, i got a sweater on under this. You, give them your shirt too. That's what he said to do, right? Jesus said to love one another as I have loved you. And how did he display his love for us? Okay, now. The Pharisees believed that Jesus would be a warrior who would come and, and, and sever the bonds of servitude that Israel has suffered for millennia. But when he showed up, he was a suffering servant that was kind and good and he dealt, he dealt with the chains that held the people. It wasn't the chains of Rome that held the people. It was the chains in here that held the people. So fast forward 2,000 years to today and think about how you reacted recently to somebody offending you. Did you deny the Messiah and did you look for another? Because he told you to be kind and forgiving, but you wanted to retaliate and you wanted to get even. Well, I'll tell you what, brother, I'm only human and that's your problem. That's what he came to save us from. I'm extending the sidebar. I have the privilege of doing so. Watch this. You are human, aren't you? Hopefully. I mean, maybe. I don't know. That's up. You've got to tell me. I don't know. You are human. Jesus is supernatural. What I mean by that, I know Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. 
Jesus, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That is supernatural. Yes, because that is not human. That is supernatural. You, as a human, worship the God of the supernatural. That, just, that word supernatural doesn't mean woo. Supernatural means above natural. This is the natural. He's above that. So that means that what goes on in the natural world, he is above it. For instance, all you good folk here at church tonight, how long does it take to make wine? That takes a while. You've got to ferment the grapes, right? It's a long process. It doesn't just happen overnight. Anybody here ever had to take medication for infection? Ah, Dave. Did you take medication that day, 15 seconds later, all was well? That's a process. Anybody here ever made your wife mad? You ever made your husband mad? Did they get over it immediately? Or did it take a little time? Mamas, did you deliver? Did you, did you, did that baby form, grow, and deliver in 30 seconds or less? No, it was a process. How long did it take Jesus to turn water into wine? Instant. What did Jesus do when he touched lepers? He healed them instantaneously. They didn't have to take the antiviral or the, the, the antibiotics, I mean. It was instantaneous. It proved that he was above natural. Right? So, if he was above natural, then that proves that he is supernatural. So, here's my point. You are human. He is supernatural. He says to you, literally, he said this, you must be born again. Nicodemus says, how do I go back in my mother's womb after I've been born? Jesus says, not of water. Ah, I heard it. But of the Spirit. So you no longer have the excuse of I'm only human. I'm only human of flesh and blood. I may. You have been born again of the Spirit. Therefore, you have a supernatural power working in you. So you do have the ability to forgive. And you do have the ability to turn the other cheek. You just choose not to. So stop being a Pharisee. You don't do the work of God yourself. You do it in, by, with, through Jesus. And he is supernatural. So when you don't have the strength, the ability, the wherewithal, the whatever, the... the I was going to say chutzpah. Is that a bad word? To do it, he does it. So, when Paul says, I did all of these things through Jesus, he's saying, I did it in Christ, by Christ, with Christ, through him. I did what I did. This is the same man that sometime earlier was hunting down and chasing and executing the very people that said this. And now he's doing it. If God can do that with Paul, then surely, surely he can help you and I to be patient and kind and good and generous and loyal and dependable and honest and sincere and to be to be willing to endure offense and conflict and to do it the way that Jesus would have us to do it because we're not doing this through our own human strength but through his supernatural power that now resides in us. So when Paul says, I did this through Christ, he is boldly proclaiming publicly to everybody that I am one of those that I used to hunt. I did not understand, but now I understand. And not only do I understand, but I believe. 
Now, how many times in Paul's life would he be offended? How many times would he be hunted? How many times would he be insulted? I can give you ample evidence of many times that he was. One in particular, he's hauled before the high priest and the Sanhedrin. And he is slapped. He's physically assaulted. And he didn't say, take these chains off of me and see what happens, big boy. Do you think the old man, Paul, would have endured being slapped in the face by anybody? No. So, the reason I said Paul's statement here is huge is because it says way more than just, here's how I did what I did. Let me go on and explain this. The power of Christ. When you think about the miracles that Jesus did, the things that exceeded the natural law, natural order, the things that he did that were above, superb, superior to nature, think about the miracles that Jesus did. Think about, just, just, just for a moment, think about the miracles that he did. Think, try to think of as many of them as you can. Uh, bringing back the dead child, um, healing uh, the, the blind man, the, um, uh, what else, what do we want to go, the, the, the water into wine, um, walking on water, right, calming the storm. I mean, you literally have superiority over nature when you tell nature to do your bidding. Sometimes people want to see miracles. Jesus even said this. There will be people that will demand to see miracles before they will believe, but you have to believe before you can ever see. The purpose of the miracles that Jesus did was to show that he was superior to nature or he was supernatural. It wasn't to put on a show. This was, these weren't parlor tricks. This wasn't him trying to lure people and draw a crowd. He was proving that he was the Messiah to the very people who would reject him as the Messiah. Remember what, remember what someone said about Jesus? Or what, what the statement, I'm trying to think the exact context, and it's escaping me at the moment. But someone one time says to him, Rabbi or teacher, we know that you are from God. From, not is. <laughs> or are, I'm sorry, sorry. Somebody should have corrected me on that. I just said, I is God. I am, he, that he is God. Because no one else could do the works that you do unless God were with them. Meaning, they understood, they perceived that he was doing things that were superior to nature. They were supernatural, right? Now, Here's where I'm going with this. When they say, we know that you are doing these supernatural things because who are, that you are from God because you're doing these supernatural things because only God could do those things. They understood that God was supernatural, but they were refusing to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. You do believe that. You believe you are here tonight because you are a believer in Christ as the Son of God, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world through him might be saved. That's why you're here. The life that we have now is the life that we live in Christ. Christ is living in us and through us. And when my earthly life is over, my life will continue. But this time it will be without restraints, without the limitations of this natural body. You see where I'm going here? While I am in this body, I long for the body that's coming. While I'm in this flesh suit, I long to be separated from this body. Have you ever had a headache? Well, don't get mad because you married them. Come on now. <laughs> Whatever. 
Have you ever, <laughs> how do I recover from this now? Have you ever had a, have you ever gotten really upset about something and, and you felt great anxiety and panic, terror, or, or worry, or you were very sad, you were wounded, you were broken, you were hurting? Have you ever been there where you were debilitated? Do you ever long to not feel that way again? Right? What do you do in those moments? What do you do? You can lay down, give up, you can lash out at people and act all sorts of ways you shouldn't. You can plant your feet and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I know that you do. And I know that in my mind, I see no way out. Oh, man. Anybody feeling this? I don't know how to get out of this. There's no natural way for me to be able to overcome this. But I know that you're not natural. And I know that I am in you. And if I am in you, then you are able to cause me to be able to overcome that which is natural. So no, I don't have to believe that my marriage is over. No, I don't have to believe that my finances are so disheveled and distraught or, 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 or destroyed that I'll never be able to come back from this. No, I don't have to think that I've got to walk away from this job. There's no way that I can overcome this struggle. I don't have to feel that fear and that terror that I'm somehow going to be abandoned and left because even though it looks that way and even though in the natural it is that way, I know that you are greater. Greater is he that is in me and he that is in the world. Do you know what that means? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. That means that the one that is in me is greater than nature. He's superior to. He's above it. Paul is saying all of that in this. Through Christ. In Christ Jesus Paul says he has the power to do that which is impossible. What does Paul state that he's wanting to do? To go to where they've never heard of Jesus before and tell them about him. The same man that would go to the ends of the earth to silence one Christian now says, here am I, send me. Right? How is he able to overcome his past? How is he able to overcome the fear and the threat of being hunted by the Pharisees himself? Do you know the power that they wield? They not only have the power in Jerusalem and all throughout Israel, but they have the ear of the Roman Empire. Do you remember what they did to Jesus? They wanted him dead, right? They wanted Jesus dead, and what did they do? They went to Pilate and said, this man has broken our laws, he is blasphemed, he's worthy of death. And what does Pilate say? I find no fault in him. So what did they do? They caused an uprising. They strategically positioned people throughout the crowd to cry out that they wanted who? Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. And what did Pilate do? He gave them what they wanted. He said, I wash my hands of this, meaning this is on you. I don't find any fault in them, but fearing a rebellion. You know why he feared a rebellion? Because Pilate was a local leader. And if Pilate screwed this up, he could have his position revoked because, believe it or not, it was a pretty good position to have because you're right there around the Mediterranean. It's a pretty decent climate. 
and Jerusalem's right on a major trade route. So it's, it's good business. Fearing not just losing his position, but losing his head, because it was very important to keep the people of Israel quelled, because if not, there would be a major disruption to the trade routes, and they did not want that happening. Pilate says, and they're getting crazy out there. I've got to do something to calm them down. And they said, you give us Jesus or we give you rebellion. What does he do? Gives them what they want. Do you think, do you really think that they're going to look lightly on Paul leaving the fold? And then becoming one of them. What are those wacko Jesus people? Of course not. He has his past, his actions, and his past, his associations. And I'm not, I'm not laughing. I'm not trying to be irreverent. Please don't think that I am. But can you, can you understand why? When the early church looked at their bulletin on Sunday morning and saw that next week Paul the executioner was going to come and preach to them, why they would go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. He had his past actions, his past associations, and now he's got to deal with current accusations. Have I rung anybody's bell yet? You got a past? Uh -huh. You know you do. Yeah, that's exactly right. He ain't even, what is he, six, is he six months yet? Nine months? Eleven months old and he's already like, boy, I got a past. I can tell you right now, man, I need Jesus, brother. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Yeah, doesn't matter. If he's got seven minutes, he's already in. So, Do you have some past associations? Did you used to be? Yeah. And have you ever had anybody accuse you in the present based off what they know about you? Sure they have. Or sure you have. How do you overcome that? This is who I naturally was. This is what he has done. So I'm no longer this. I'm this. I'm now dwelling in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord is in me. Working through me. So what have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arm. Paul says something interesting in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. 8 and 9 he says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be... That the Spirit of God dwells in you. I am in Christ. Christ is in me. The way I am in I am the way that I am in Christ is if the Spirit of God dwells in me. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, at the moment of your Salvation, you are filled with the Spirit of God. There is no separate filling. There is no lag period or waiting period. The second you're born again, you're filled with the Spirit of God because how can you be one of His if He's not in you and you are in Him? So, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of His. You cannot be a natural Christian. You cannot be a Human Christian, you, I mean, you're a human Christian, you get what I'm saying here. You cannot just be natural. And this is what is killing the church today, is natural Christianity. It is natural traditionality. It's not Christianity. It's, it, Christ isn't in it. 
And that's what's killing the church. Now, we can sit here all night long and gripe and complain about, oh, how bad the world is today. Eeyore. They've got kids at school that want litter boxes. Eeyore. They've got all these pregnant girls in the school. Eeyore. Oh, they're all gay now. Eeyore. Everybody's drinking. Eeyore. But what is the church doing? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So what are we saying when we're complaining about how bad everything is instead of getting out into the world and sharing how good he is? No one is, not, is in Christ unless he has the Spirit of Christ in him. And if the Spirit of Christ is in you, then greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So why are you so troubled? It's okay to look at the world and be brokenhearted. We should be, but that's the other problem. We're not brokenhearted, we're mad. We stay in our own little holy huddles. We stay in our own little classic examples. We stay in our own little safe spaces, but we don't go out there where the people are. We, talk, we commentate on how bad it is. We talk about how bad people are. Let me rephrase that. We talk about people. But if Christ is in us, then should we not be compelled with the same power that was in him, the same desire, the same fervor to go out and reach people? If the Spirit of Christ is in us, then what should we do? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am no longer natural. I'm supernatural. So I can overcome whatever problem it is. Whatever issue it is in the world that is so troubling to the natural believer, which is an oxymoron. It's not really a thing. But you get where I'm going with that. I'm not legitimizing it. I'm just saying it like that. So if we are a supernatural believer, then we should be able to go above what is natural. So when I see that weird person or that wacko person, my heart should break for them. My mouth shouldn't open, but my heart should. Right? Imagine if we had the same fervor today that Paul had and said, I am willing to go to the ends of the earth to win one person that will probably want to kill me. What if we did that today? That's what we paid a preacher for. You want me to dance too? I mean, what, what do you... All of us are believers. All of us have the same power in us if we are His. So that means that the same Spirit that worked in Paul is working in us. Not just in me because I'm the super spiritual guy. Not just in somebody because they pray louder than somebody else. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Can you tell me anything in this world that is more debilitating than death? It raised the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Now dwells in our natural bodies. Let that simmer for just a second. So instead of excuses, we should see opportunities. Instead of impossibilities, we should see miracles. Instead of I can't, we should see, oh, but he can. Instead of I give up, we should say, I'm going to get up. And I'm going to go. Because if it's impossible, then that means it's possible. Because with him, I can do all things. Not just overcoming my own personal issues and my own struggles and my own problems. But I can see change in other people's lives. I can see God do... When you look at the world around you, do you see the possibility, the probability, the permanent... Or, or, or I mean, I mean the... the, the uh, what's what I'm looking for here? When you see... The lost, do you see past what they are to what they can be? That's what Jesus did. That's what faith is. And if any man has the Spirit of Christ, should we not be able to see the impossible as possible? 
Paul refers specifically to the, the Spirit of Christ in, in chapter 8. This, what is the Spirit? It is, it's the life or the essence. The life, the essence of, of, of a person. So the life of G- Jesus, his, es- his person, his, who he is, is in us. I am filled with the Spirit of God. That is, when Jesus was here on the earth, God the Father, think of it like this, God the Father in heaven. Jesus, the Son on earth. And the Holy Spirit within us. Everywhere in everything, Jesus is here. His life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. The spirit of God. In heaven God desired for the earth to have a savior. And that Savior did not just come on the earth for the purpose of exhibiting something or doing something. He also came to dwell within us. Okay? Paul says to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. How can a dead man live? The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead now lives in us. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The essence, the spirit of Christ is in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul at one time lived his life in the flesh. He thought he was spiritual. He thought he was doing the Lord's work. But what was he doing? Not, not the Lord of heaven and earth's work. He's doing the Lord of the earth. Man. The, the, the God of this world, he was doing his work. Was Paul passionate about what he did? Absolutely. Was Paul sincere about what he did? Absolutely. Did Paul go the extra mile? Did Paul serve the Sanhedrin well? Oh, better than anybody. Elder Stock of Benjamin. He was... Circumcised on the eighth day. He knew everything there was to know, very well educated. He gave it all he had. And he says to the Philippians, I count it all as what? He uses a strong word. I don't know if y'all realize this or not, but don't you tell your super conservative friends, but Paul says some pretty hard things at times. He calls it dung. Do you know what dung is, Braden? There you go. That's what he calls it. Everything he did in the flesh, he calls it dung. But it was a badge of honor, a medal, a crown of sorts that Paul wore. But he says it was all worthless because it was done in the flesh, not in the spirit. Listen to what Paul says to the Galatians. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are, are also are found sinners... Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. What does he mean by that? He means I was once, I once thought I was so alive because I was heeding the law, persecuting those that broke it, and going to the nth degree to stop anything blasphemous from taking over the work that the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were doing. He says to the Jewish believers here in Galatia, if I go back now that I'm a believer in Christ, 
If I go back and try to rebuild the legalism that I once adhered to, I am making myself a transgressor because I know that no flesh can be justified by the law. So if I go back and rebuild that, I am destroying the work of grace that Christ has produced in me. With that in mind, have modern churches transgressed? I'm not just talking about because of skinny jeans and smoke machines. I'm talking about rebuilding the legalism that does not save. Gary and I be shot dead in some churches. Two shirts on untucked. Not just one, but two. And one's open. How dare we blaspheme? Paul says, I used to be so alive in my death. But now... I am so dead to my old life that I don't even want to think about going back and rebuilding what I did, but people are doing it. You cannot be justified by the works that you do. You are only justified through, in, by, and with Jesus. That's it. Paul says, my work for God. What was his work for God that he did? He said, in Christ Jesus, through the Lord, I have reason to brag. Not about his work, like his doing. But he's bragging about what Christ has done in him. We've already touched on this some tonight. We all know what Paul used to be. And we all know what Paul was at his death. That's what he's talking about. When people look at you and they see your past, is it different than your present? And would they say, surely God did that? Because there ain't no way Ellie did that on his own. Right? Acts 7, 57 through 60. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him, this being Stephen, with one accord. And ca- <laughs> That's interesting. Pastoral sidebar. The upper room, they were all gathered together in what? In one mind and in one accord. These people were all together in one accord to kill Stephen. And cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet. You ready for this? His name was Saul. And then they stoned Stephen, calling upon, calling upon God and saying, Stephen is the one who was going to say this. As Stephen was doing this, they stoned, keep this in mind, as Stephen was saying what I'm about to say, they began to pummel him with stones and kill him. This is what he said. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Does that sound familiar? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And when he had said this, he fell asleep or he died. I want to go back to the beginning and tie all this together. What would you say in the flesh when someone was about to stone you without cause what would you do what would you do obviously it was the will of God for Stephen to go uh, go out this via this route and Stephen was submitted to that he was yielded to that right we are ready to go to war when someone says something about us think about it Well, Stephen was a super saint. Stephen wasn't very old. He's a young man, youngish man. And the church hadn't been around that long. You feeling me here? So it wasn't like this guy had 
many, 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 many decades to grow and mature. It didn't matter how old he was. It didn't matter how mature he was in his faith. The moment Christ comes to live within us, the moment, the moment that his spirit dwells in us, we have the ability to do what he's called us to do. Do we? Do we? Or do we do what we want to do? If we're doing what we want to do, then we're denying that he has done what he has done in us. And if we deny what he has done in us, then we are no longer cooperating with him in the spirit to do that which is supernatural in our human bodies. So there's one of two things happening. We're being disobedient or we're, we're not born again. This is what Paul heard as he stood over top of the coats that those men laid down at his feet to signify that they were in agreement and that this was the will of God. This is what he heard, right? And then he watched as Stephen died. Well, then, as Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter, Acts chapter 9, 1 and 2, against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, the Christians, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Jesus meets him and says to him, It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. That's what he says in the King James. How many times do you think Peter, or sorry, Paul had heard something like what Stephen said? If, if Saul, Paul, had been present at the stoning of Christians, what do you suspect he heard them say? Oh, the same thing. Why would you expect that they would say this, or suspect that they would say the same? No, expect is the right word. Why would you expect them to say the same thing? When the Lord and Savior was brutally executed as he was hanging on the cross. What did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. So if you and I are in Christ, if we are a believer and in Christ, what should be our response when we are wronged, when we are offended? I'm not talking about criminal mischief or assault and battery or murder, although in all of those things we should, we should forgive. What is our response? Now I'll say this and we'll, I'll, I'll close. But What do the unbelievers around us hear from us? Is God able to prick their hearts because of our willingness to suffer wrongs? to be kind and compassionate and patient and forgiving and loving, to look past, to cover the sins that we see and say, I understand that this is where they are, but I know where I once was. And I know what he was able to do in me. And if he did it for me, he can do it for them. So when you go to the grocery store and that stupid cashier doesn't know how to count your money back, Or when you go and they have the audacity, the audacity to not put extra pickles on your burger? How do you respond? That's, no, no, that's why I said it. I knew you didn't like pickles. When they mess up, do they see the love and the mercy and the grace and the compassion of Christ in you? And is that able to prick their hearts and cause them to become tender to the Lord? Or are you burning, severing, crippling them with your impatience, your unkindness, this... I got a right to say what I want to say. It's just an act I do, man. I promise you're new. Don't think nothing of it. You spoiled, self-righteous, hypocritical, 
human. Repent and be born again or repent and be disciplined by God. You can't act like that. I'm not going to be able to preach a message to everybody. I'm not going to be able to get everybody to listen to a podcast. I'm not going to be able to reach the ones that you'll be able to reach. I can't be everywhere at all times, in all places, in all things. I'm not him. And I'm not in you. He's in you. It is the Spirit of Christ that is in all of us. So if all of us allow Christ to work in us, what would we be able to do in Owen County, Franklin County, Boone County, wherever we are? Wherever God gives us the ability to be a witness and a light, what should we, what should we be able to do? Anything. What are we doing? Are we, are we allowing him to work through us to reveal what mercy and grace is or are we refusing to heed his call because, ooh, they done got me on the wrong day. And by the way, not to be ugly, and certainly not to, I'm not trying to espouse any kind of guilt, so please don't think this. What do your children see in you? Do they experience the mercy and grace of God in you, in the way you discipline, treat, talk to them? Do they see the patience of the Lord, the same patient Lord that is so patient with you? Or do you drop, a di- drop our turn on a dime and become angry and frustrated and yell at them and scream and act a fool? Because if you're doing it at the store, I can't imagine what you do at home. And you realize that that home is your mission field too, Right? Husbands, your wife needs to see Jesus in you. Wives, your husbands need to see Jesus in you. And your children need to see Jesus in you. And then the world needs to see Jesus in you. And then when we all come together, we ought to see Jesus in one another. And that completes the circle. And now we have heaven and earth and within the Spirit of God in operation and at work.